In the 20 plus years of helping people plan for the cost of retirement and long-term health care, we've identified one consistent theme among families and caregivers. People don't like to talk about money. Life care affordability planning helps families who are facing long-term health issues and increasing health-related expenditures to make better informed financial decisions during a time when there are so many unanswered questions. It's time to face this topic head-on, address the emotional charge of discussing money, and discover practical ways to bridge the gap between a long-term health care plan and your ability to pay for it. Hello and welcome to the Life Care Affordability Planning Podcast with Tom West and Arvet Reed from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. Hello. Hello. So I heard some pretty big news. Tell me about your new team member. Oh, thanks for asking. We have been joined on our team by Mr. Robert Papa, CFP, a 22-year veteran in the industry. I had the opportunity of working with Rob in a relationship when he was over as a senior financial consultant at Charles Schwab, where he was for a good 13 years before moving into private wealth. Hmm. We recruited him over here particularly to help out with our life care affordability plan rollout in the District of Columbia and Maryland. Uh, he's a fantastic addition. He's partnered with uh, Arvet already on a handful of different cases and is sort of consistent with the, the, the forward growth that we're looking for in the practice. So welcome, Rob. Yeah, that's, that's outstanding. So can you spell his last name for me? P-A. P-A. Oh, man. Is his nickname big? Come on. I know. I know. It's like it's come to. <laughs> it's got to be. It's weird. Right? Rob, Robert Papa. I love that. Okay. Great. Well, that sounds like a great addition. So look forward to uh, hearing a little bit more about him and the work that he's doing with your team and uh, what the future holds. Arvet, how are you? I am doing well. Good. I'm really excited about today's topic. Me too. Let's, let's do a little recap here. Last time we talked about families and how they don't talk about money. And now today we're getting into, uh, we're going to be speaking about professionals, especially in senior housing and healthcare and why they don't talk about money. So I'm just going to ask that question. Why don't they talk about money? Well, I think that when our vet and I were prepping a little bit for our podcast today, I think that the, the first place to think about professionals in senior housing and healthcare is that they're people too. They're folks in the workforce. They've got their own families. They're thinking about retirement. And I think it's worth just considering they might just not have a comfort level with you know high degrees of financial literacy to begin with. Remember that many Americans aren't saving enough for retirement, don't have a full command of how much money they're going to need now or down the road for things like college or saving for legacy or whatnot. So I think one of the first reasons that professionals in senior housing and healthcare don't talk about money is they're people too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that just a personal discomfort with that as a topic, you know, we, we talked a little bit last time about people are comfortable talking about health, but they're not talk comfortable talking about money. I just think that's the place to start. Yeah. And I think we need to go back to the idea that there are two different worlds. There's healthcare and their finance. And as much as we keep reinforcing that, they need to connect. They're actually already connected, not acknowledging how connected they are so far. But the two tribes just really don't understand each other's language. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I spent 15 years in the senior housing and healthcare market, always on the sales and marketing side, and had no problem talking to families about what offerings we had and how much they were going to cost. But never did I get into the conversation about how they were going to pay for that or something like that. And even in my own world, you know, in our own personal world about understanding 
how we're going to pay for some of the bigger things that, you know, are going to come along. We just don't talk about it. Right. Right. So I think that, that, so first off, you know, people don't talk about money because they're people and then professionals in senior housing and healthcare. Like I'm, I'm really interested in this podcast because we're going to be able to lean a little bit on our vet's experience and the variety of different roles that she had. So why don't you talk a little bit, why, why do you think as a, as a professional marketing professional, senior housing and healthcare, talk a little bit about when your role's there, why, why aren't you talking about money there? Yeah. And I think it's good first to set the stage that there really are two kind of groups within the senior housing and healthcare market. There's the sales marketing side, and then there's more the administrator, executive director uh, side, which is more the business side, running the business. Right. And we got the clinical and the therapeutic side too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, but when you get into the money conversations, those are the two places that most likely will have the money conversation. Right, right, right. Less on the clinical side. Right. So as a sales and marketing professional, my job was to get people on board, right? So whether I was getting people to move into an assisted living or whether I was getting people to sign up for hospice services, you know, I was trying to make sure that these families were getting the help they need and that wherever I was, was the place that was the best fit for them. Right. So I, we talked about all kinds of things like the need and what was going on in the home and, you know, the feature benefit of what we could do and getting people to really understand the help that they needed and what we could provide. But once again, I never talked about money. Right, right. Because you, your value proposition was very personal. It was very emotional. Yeah. It, was, it was very physical. Right. Yeah. And that then I'd sense. say, okay, and the cost is this, you know. Uh, so that's a little bit of experience from the sales and marketing side. But from the executive director administrator side, they're running the business. They're the people that are used to budgets. And they talk to families when families are already on service. Mm about, you know, how things are going or how costs may increase based on what's going on. So there's definitely an opportunity in both of those groups mm -hmm. to do a better job of connecting the conversation of finances with healthcare. Sure. That makes sense. So when, when you were doing, you know, marketing for, say, for example, that, that period of time where you doing work in assisted living, right? Like, so, so, you know, when you're going through your day and thinking about interacting with families, and then when you're thinking about, all right, well, I'm not in front of families anymore. I'm back on the business side of things. Like, what are you looking at? What is your dashboard? How, how do you know you're successful in that role? Oh, yeah. Success was based on census for the most part. So yeah. it, whatever your task was, whether it was to fill the building or get census up, that's what you're focused on. And really, as a sales and marketing professional, especially from a personal perspective, I was not comfortable talking about money. I mean, remember, I've only been here at the, at the financial, the wealth management firm for a year and a half. So I've learned so much in the year and a half. But when I was in senior housing and healthcare, I was not comfortable talking about money. So the last thing I was going to do was bring up a topic with a prospect that I really wasn't that comfortable about that might gum up my process. Right. Our, our what would happen? Go ahead, Eric. So, uh, Arvet, you, you said you weren't comfortable. Why weren't you comfortable talking about money, though? I think it goes back to what Tom said. It's just I, I'm, I'm a person like everybody else. It's not something that we talked about in our household. Mm. You know, my, my parents and I, we would talk on a surface level, but I didn't grow up with a financial professional in the house who talked to me about money starting as a child. Right. Got you it. know, like we talked about in the last podcast. Mm -hmm. So how did you, how did you, like in your different roles, how did you respond to, you know, a prospective client that should be moving in that just says like, yeah, it's too expensive. I can't afford it. Like, how do you process that? Because it's, it's, it's a money objection. Right. And if you're in your role and you don't want to talk about money, like what does that mean? How do you, do you digest it or not digest it in your role? 
Yeah. And I think for me, the question is, is that really the objection, you know, looking back, like in the moment when I was doing it, I, I didn't even think about it that way. But now that I'm on this side, I can look back at certain circumstances where people would say, you know, this is just more expensive and I can't afford it. And so I would try to come back with the, well, let's go back to what your needs are. And is mom safe or dad safe or what do you need? But at the end of the day, I had no idea if they really could afford it because I never knew what questions to ask after that. Right. That so would be, a, yeah, that would be so hard uh, because yeah. you, 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 I can imagine being in that position and feeling like I don't want to pressure them. You know, I, how, how do I ask that question? Are, are you sure you can afford this? I mean, that, that's so insensitive, right? So I don't think anybody would feel comfortable, you know, trying to find out if they could truly afford it or not, or, or trying to help them walk through it. It's just simple facts. This is what you need, or you say you need, and whether you can do it or not, I'm just kind of a yes or no. I think that one of the things with that yes or no that Eric was talking about, you're just trying to get them to accept the help that they need. Mm. And I think that in terms of your sales process, you were going through the value proposition of how they can get assistance and how they can be more independent and taken care of and you can be a good family member and the rest of it. And you used that emotional and personal connection with the circumstance that they're in to overcome a financial objection, which might be a junk objection or might not be a junk objection. That's right. that's kind of the way that you were doing it. Well, I also think in general, people don't know how much healthcare is going to cost. Mm. Yeah. So sometimes when they say it's too expensive, it really is the shock of seeing the number for the first time because everybody just assumes everything healthcare is covered by insurance. Right. And that is yeah. so not the case. Yeah. Yeah. And talk a little bit. So that's got to have an impact on what you were thinking about. Maybe you were using was insurance like, well, you know, some of it's covered by insurance. So talk to your insurance person. And that was your sort of throwaway answer to the objection. Well, it depends on the case. So in assisted livings, it was private pay. Yeah. Right. But yeah. in like a hospice situation or a rehab situation, it would be covered by insurance. So yeah. sometimes I would say, yes, insurance will cover this. And then I'd skirt through that answer right quick so we could move on. Cause once again, I didn't really want to talk about money right? and they probably really didn't want to talk about money. So let's just all keep moving, moving sure. forward. Listen, I think that, I think it is this juncture, you know, we we're rolling out this life care affordability plan. And one of the first and most successful cases that we had was the one that you spearheaded with, with the gentleman in Maryland. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because what's important about this particular case the, the senior housing and healthcare professional that was in the mix, that was actually the one that referred to us, her inability to penetrate the financial discussion actually resulted in a plan of care that wasn't sufficient. So why don't you talk a little bit about that case and, you know, from start to finish? Yeah. And I think what's interesting was there are a lot of senior housing and healthcare professionals who know that they're not comfortable talking about money. And then there are a handful who feel comfortable talking about money. And to the rest of us, it sounds good. Until now, I'm on this side of the house. Right. Right. And then I see it from a different viewpoint. Right. So in this case, uh, this the senior housing and healthcare professional, she genuinely thought she was doing the right thing and thought she was doing the right discovery questions and sent us this referral, which appeared to be someone that might and fall into a financial assistance category. Like a Medicaid? Like a Medicaid category. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we jump in, we start digging in. It's about, you know, him and his wife and what was best for the both of them. And as we started digging in, it turns out 
he was nowhere near needing financial assistance and, uh, and was in a, fortunately was in a position that he had made very good decisions. So him and his wife had lots of options mm. when it came to the healthcare and what was best for them. But it was an eye opener to me of once again, how us in the senior housing and healthcare market think we know, or some of us think we know, but really didn't. It was way off. Right. And I remember that, that, that the house itself needed a little bit of work and there right. was a perception that somebody would be just a little bit above a poverty line, right. but just from appearances and behaviors, yeah. but the guy's sitting on a few million bucks yeah. and the idea of, well, do I, you know, can I take care of my wife at home? Right. If you're coming into a, fin- a, a, a care plan discussion thinking that it's a Medicaid discussion, mm. right. then the answer is no. Yeah. You can't take care of somebody at home. We got to think about community-based care and waivers and a whole bunch of other stuff. How did you, Arvet, get the guy to talk about money when the care professional couldn't in a way that was functional? Well, I want to give the care professional props because, first of all, she she gave us the referral. Sure. So she recognized that something needed to be done from a financial perspective. And something wasn't right. And something wasn't mm-hmm. right. That's it. She, something wasn't right. And so she reached out to us. But for me, it was just simply because I'd been in the industry for 15 years, I was just coming at it at a different angle. And now that I've been in finance, I am a little bit more comfortable asking those questions. So I just directly asked him, yeah. which I would have never done in the senior housing and healthcare work world. Right. I would have never been comfortable doing that. So, and some of it, some of it goes back to how do we help? How do we help clients make decisions? And in this particular case, because obviously we we did some of the back end work, the gentleman was very forthright about what he was most hopeful for. What he was most hopeful for was the least amount of changes for him and his wife to be able to keep her at home with him with the fewest transitions. And I remember listening. I remember I hadn't met the gentleman, but I remember hearing in the story his frustration with I'm not getting the answers and support and the the, the feeling that these professionals are on the same side, because what I want to hear is how can I keep her at home? when the plans of care might have been taken in a different direction. And there was an, in, in, and in the end, if there was the financial wherewithal to be able to put a plan together that would be very expensive for some households, that was something that was possible. And, you know, kudos to the care professional, kudos to you, because I think right now what we know is that family is getting better outcomes. She's getting better help mm-hmm. that they're paying more money for. But it accelerated a decision-making process. It re-engaged the adult children who also didn't have a full perspective of what mom and dad really had. Cause mm-hmm. like we talked about before, money was private and people didn't talk about it. So I, I, that was, that I think was a big victory in terms of being able to impact that couple with a life care affordability plan to unlock the potential of how their wealth was going to be able to serve some of their care plans. I can imagine the stress that it took off the family as well. Like the, the kids, if you don't know what your parents have and you're concerned about mom's health and, and what's going to happen in the future and all of a sudden you have the answer in front of you, that's a huge sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about, about um, that other group in senior housing and healthcare. Let's talk about administrators or executive directors. Think back to different parts of your career, Arvat, or conversations that you've had now that you've been part of this um, life care affordability team. What do those conversations look like? How how do administrators, how do executive directors think or not think about 
the financial ability for the residents to pay for their care. Mm-hmm. I think this goes back to the last podcast. We talked about how people as individuals in their work life are used to talking budgets and spreadsheets and things like that. And then they go home and they, they don't necessarily have the personal finance conversation. So it's very interesting and unique that this group of individuals, individuals in the healthcare space, they have the business viewpoint because right. they're doing the budgets, right. but they also are sitting across from the families. Mm-hmm. And so they're the ones telling the families that whatever level of care they're on now, based on the clinical input, they might have to increase level of care, which means increased costs. So it means that. So they're having that money conversation with people that have already made the decision to, to be with that organization. So right. it's no longer a sales pitch. This is why you need us. This right. is why you're already here. It's more like an operational management right. through the plan of care. But the other side of it, which I've learned now being on the finance side versus the senior housing and healthcare side, people are out shopping. Like we kind of knew that. Like when I was in senior housing healthcare, we knew families were out looking for possible less expensive alternatives because they were scared about mm-hmm. running out of money. Because they didn't know what they could afford. They didn't know what they could afford. They were scared about running out of money, but they weren't necessarily telling the executive director that. Some of them say it outright. Right. Some of them don't. But the reality of helping the administrators and the executive directors in this world talk to families about using something like the Life Care Affordability Plan to help them plan out now that they've already made the decision, it's huge because it's going to bring the topic to the front and center instead of wondering whether these people are going around shopping for cheaper hourly rates or monthly fees. Yeah. Well, if it's, if it's my mom in the assisted living and I'm sitting down from the executive director, that's telling me that we're moving from a level two to a level three care and the costs are going to go up, you know, from, you know, eight grand to 11 grand a month or whatever the number is. You know, I'm not telling that executive director yeah. that I'm shopping out because I'm worried that maybe that my mom's going to be taken care of a little less. Mm-hmm. If I'm worried, since I don't know exactly what's going on after I leave, the last thing I want is to take any action that leaves my mom even fractionally more vulnerable because we know that senior housing and healthcare clinical and therapeutic professionals, they're overtaxed. Their staffing ratios are tight. You know, you can only stretch a professional caregiver in an assisted living so far. And I don't want my mom to be on the end of the line in terms of units of care distributed. Right. Because there's a perception on the facility that she's on uh, on the way out the door. Well, that is such a family perception. But everybody in the senior housing and healthcare love on their people regardless. But it's interesting to say that because so many people feel that way. They're scared to speak up because yep. they don't want something to happen. But right. It's because it's because we don't know on the family right. side of things. Right. And, and I'm definitely not telling you I'm shopping you out no. because mm-hmm. I'm worried and I don't have a guide to help me go through all this because the money stuff and the healthcare stuff, the space that we're exploring is so alien to everybody's everybody's experience so far. And, you know, I think that. that, that yeah, but we love our residents. We love all our residents. I believe that. No, I, I, I know that now. Yeah. OK, I know that because of the time that we've spent. But I think family members. Yeah. Family members, they don't they they they're, they're always worried and they don't know and you know nobody takes care of mom the way I take care of mom. Right. So I mean it, it, that's also one of the things that that there's always an anxiety that somebody might not be taken care of to the to the standard. Some of that is not being able to accept the situation that they're in to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the whole acceptance denial thing that's sort of rolling. Anyway, I think it's very predictable 
that families might need a facilitator, for lack of a better way to put it, to bridge this conversation of housing and healthcare and money. money. Because it's it's not it's not an intuitive conversation for either the, on the professional side or the family side. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that we're trying to sort of move in and, and, and be able to improve outcomes. And Tom, the other thing that plays into that in my mind is the media. Because if there's a story about elder abuse, it's on there and it's on there a lot. Or it's, it's highlighted as a top story. Uh, and, and people are concerned about where mom is staying or is everybody in that? I mean, Arvet, you said we love, we all, we love our residents. Well, we see on the news that they're not always taking care of the best and that's a fear, right? That, that mm-hmm. may or may not be real, but it's real to us. And so having somebody navigate Tom, like you said, well, that would be huge. Yeah. yeah. And, and for me, like I said, coming out of the senior housing and healthcare network, but I mean, being in that industry for 15 years was life changing for me. I mean, it was, I, I loved it. It was amazing. And I want to do everything I can now that I'm on the finance side to figure out how to better support the professionals in that industry so we can continue doing right by the families. And I really believe doing right by the families means learning how to have the financial conversation and or referring out to professionals like us to help bridge that conversation. Just like you said, it's a, there's a gap. There's a huge gap there um, that we, it needs to be filled. Yeah, and think about think about I'm staying in this administrator space right now. Why do people leave assisted living facilities? There's only a few reasons: they mm-hmm. die, mm-hmm. they have a plan of care that changes, or money comes into the mix. Either there's a perception that they can't afford it, or they actually can't afford it. And you know, when we've got you know administrators and executive directors that are that are in house thinking about this among the group that's listening to us, imagine how much, you know, more occupied beds days Mm -hmm. there could be if families have the ability to improve paying for their plan of care by just 10%. Right. Like what, like what, what kind of occupied bed days, like is that kind of a number of that population that is leaving because of financial issues? It's a huge issue. And I don't want to discount the home, care market because mm-hmm. we talk we've been talking about assisted livings but we know most people want to stay home sure and so they're trying to get the home care in and they're trying to skimp on hours because it's so expensive so they're only doing four hours or you know 10 hours a week when really they need 60 hours a week yeah so it's the same conversation like if you can show a family that's only doing 10 hours a week and you know they need more how financially they can actually make it work and not only is it better clinically and therapeutically, but financially it'll be fine. Right. Then they're going to get the help they need, which is really the 60 hours. Right. And I mean, that, that really gets back to the, the main impact, I think, of this life care affordability plan. I, 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 I have lost track of the number of clients that have the resources. They either don't have the literacy or the command of their, uh, of their finances or, or the, the, the feeling of safety that, you know, somebody is telling me at a fiduciary standard how I'd be able to do this. They're not empowered to accept the help that they need because there's there's a decision making block. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and we know this a little bit. It's the same stuff where on the healthcare side of things, sometimes people don't ask for the help that they need for a whole bunch of different reasons. On occasion, some of that is I don't know that I can afford it, even if they have the ability to afford it. So I was just reflecting on my sales experience again. And when we're going through the process of helping families, when I was in the senior housing and healthcare space, you know, we had the whole family in the room sometimes. 
And I had no idea who the financial decision maker was. Mm. Like I know who the healthcare person is and I wanted, I needed the yes from the healthcare person and I can figure that out quickly, but I never really took the time to figure out who the financial yes person was. And I think that's another thing we really need to teach the senior housing and healthcare market from a professional standpoint. You got to figure that out from the beginning. Yeah, let's talk, um, I think, just in terms of some last thoughts about ways that professionals in senior housing and healthcare can improve on this. I think some of it has to do with the way that families are screened. Like you just mentioned, I don't know who the financial decision maker is or the, the successor financial decision maker is. But, you know, if you think about the way that people are screened. There's sort of two things like we have seen in our practice. One of the things for the life care affordability plan is, you know, if somebody's moving into a community or engaging a home care provider that does some financial assessment, part of what our, 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 pro, our service is, is to fill that out for the client just because it, it, that's that's part of what we end up doing. But we've seen forms from big, great, reputable care providing facilities when they're prompting about financial uh, information from their incoming resident, the forms are wrong. <laughs> like the forms, the forms that like they don't have enough room. They're asking the wrong questions. Mm. You know, they talk about you know the, the the particular thing that we're looking at was sort of annuity and then a blank line. It was so funny. I got the form and I gave it to Glenn, who's the CFP in the office. I'm like, hey, can you just fill this form out for client X or whatever? And he's looking at it. He was like. What are they asking? Yeah, what the heck, what, what are we like, talking about? If like, you I don't know what they're asking, I sure as heck don't know what they're asking. Well, we know that they don't know what they're asking because as you know, in, in financial services, an annuity could be like a zillion different things. Right. It could be an immediate annuity that's like a pension that's paying out for somebody's life. It could be a deferred annuity in an IRA, not in an IRA, but that, that's, that's an example. And I was thinking about forms. Like one of the things that we did when we were building out the life care affordability plan is we, we, we looked to the aging life care association, which is the, the new branding for geriatric care managers. Mm -hmm. And we took a look at their standardized forms as a profession and what kind of screening are they doing for finances? Because I think broadly speaking, part of what aging life care professionals do is they, 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 they try to provide a holistic view of what the care plan is, what the family circumstances are, what the, pl the, the, the care plan looks like, what goals and what benchmarks they're setting. I call them kind of like the consultants of the industry. Yeah, they're like the Swiss Army knife <laughs> yeah. of, 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 of putting this together. But when I was looking through what the professional association does in terms of financial queries – you know, it, it, it mostly has to do with who's making the financial decisions. That's what I thought about it when you were talking about you don't necessarily know. Like mm -hmm. the, the, the good screeners in senior housing and healthcare identify who the financial decision makers are. But then there's just some broad information like do you own your home? You know, what's your income? What are your assets? And, and like full stop. Like the, there, isn't, there isn't any question because it's not, it's not the, the, the aging life care professional's job. But there isn't anything that says now that the job of the money has changed because you need to come up with a new five grand, 10 grand, 15 grand a month. Now that the job of money has changed, what are you going to do with your finances and investments to give mm -hmm. you the, the best chance of affording the plan of care that you need? Like mm -hmm. they're not there at the next step. And that's where I think life care affordability plan fits perfectly. We're going to use the Aging Life Care Association forms and the way that they screen to help 
build out the plan of care summary that we include in all of our LCAP life care affordability plans, that's going to be something that we're really hoping to advance, you know, our ability for, for this service to make an impact. And to help the professionals. Yeah, and to help the professionals. Mm-hmm. That's, and that, that's kind of what we had in mind uh, for our podcast, Eric. Why don't you uh, uh, think about uh, any any last-minute questions or teeing no, up I, the next podcast? But yeah, I had a lot of the, fun with this one. Yeah, I want to I know what that next podcast is because you, you, you pretty much alluded to it. But uh, what's, what are we going to cover next time? Well, I think that, that what, what's coming up next, I, I think that we need to start giving professionals in senior housing and healthcare better tools Mm-hmm. to be able to ask and prompt questions, to be able to maybe work through that objection of, I can't afford it, maybe giving a little bit better tools to suss that out, and then to decide a little bit how we're going to do a better job of identifying the financial decision makers and how do we improve families' ability to make decisions where they're able to accept the help that they need. Because a lot of the, the long-term care that we're talking about, it involves money, but it's not about money. Mm-hmm. But we need money to be managed as best possible in order to afford the plan of care for the longest period of time. Yeah. So also, Tom, I want to acknowledge the fact that we have a lot of families listening as well. So not only are we going to put together some tools for the professionals next time, but I think it's really important for the families that are out there listening to understand the type of tools that should be available so if they're in the middle of making this decision and working with a with a community, a facility or a home care agency, that they also know what questions they should be asking so that they're making the right decision. Hey, guys, this was a great podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, audience, for joining us today on the Life Care Affordability Planning Podcast with Tom and Arvet. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tom and Arvet come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends, family, and coworkers. Again, thank you for listening to today. For everyone at Signature Estate and Investment Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. We'll see you next time. Views and opinions provided herein are those of the individual speakers. All content is informational only and is not intended to be an endorsement or recommendation of any particular investment strategy or other course of action. Consult your tax, legal, and financial professions concerning your specific situation. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through SEIA LLC. Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Life Care Affordability Plan is a marketing name for SEIA. Services related to evaluating the client's health care treatment plan are independent of and not endorsed by Royal Alliance Associates, Inc.